Welcome to the Saturday Cadence Podcast, your ultimate destination for all things college football. I am your host, Blake Biscardi, and our podcast is a must-listen for avid fans, casual enthusiasts, and anyone looking to immerse themselves in the thrilling world of college football. Join myself and David Wertheim as we guide you through the intricacies of college football, offering valuable insights, analysis, and captivating discussions while keeping you up to date with the latest news and recruiting developments. We go beyond the headlines, which is what separates our show from other college football outlets. Our podcast is not just about news and analysis, it's also about the people behind the game. That's right, it's about you, the fan. We bridge the gap between fan and fame. Join us and embrace the thrill, excitement, and strategic brilliance that define college football. Tune in, stay informed, and be a part of the conversation that shapes the sport we all love. I'm Blake Biscardi, and remember, the Saturday Cadence Podcast is the heartbeat of college football. It's time to get into our 2023 conference previews, and we will start with the Big Ten. Is it Michigan's conference, or will Ohio State regain control? Where does Penn State fall in all of this? And how about the Big Ten West? Welcome into the 38th episode of the Saturday Cadence podcast presented by the Silver Bulletin. Blake Biscardi here alongside David Wertheim. We have a special guest, Anand Nanduri, joining us today. He'll be joining us in just a few minutes. So, David, there's a lot to get into with the Big Ten, primarily with What's bigger, Ohio State's quarterback battle or the fact that the conference is now expanding to Oregon and Washington in addition to USC and UCLA? There's so much to talk about in the Big Ten. Excited to hop into all of this. But how do you see it all right now? Yeah, it is really a fun conference to talk about, and it's it's exciting that that's going to be our first one that we break down here. Obviously, we've got an awesome guest to help us do that, and uh, you know, just really looking forward to talking about the Big Ten and the myriad of storylines that have become available to us in recent weeks absolutely it's pretty much the epicenter of college football at the moment we'll see if that continues throughout the season but let's get right to it Anand Nanduri has joining us today graciously Anand welcome to the show thanks for having me Blake and David good to be on with you guys yeah we're excited so let's hop right into a block here we've got Michigan we'll start with since they've won the conference in each of the last two years Michigan looks that they are the favorite again on paper. This is probably Jim Harbaugh's best team. Do you think that's a fair take there on and right off the top? Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, Michigan's built to beat Ohio state as Penn state has built their team for many years. Once you're at the top of the conference, um, you're, you're trying to, you know, take down the top dog. And for a lot of years it was Ohio state. And so when you look at recruiting classes, Michigan's recruiting classes were basically built to beat Ohio state and done that the last two years. The question, you know, for Michigan fans is obviously they want to win that game at the end of the year, but the question is, can they take down a Georgia or a Clemson or an Alabama at the end of the season, once they get to that college football playoff? So that's, that's really the question that needs to be answered from this Harbaugh team potentially. Uh, is can they get it done beyond just the Big Ten? Yeah, I think that's definitely a great point. And I know a lot of people in Ann Arbor and just in the Michigan fan base, they're very, very high on J.J. McCarthy. Do you think he's the quarterback that's going to be able to get that done? I know Michigan has a lot of good pieces. Their offensive line has won the Joe Moore Award. They are probably going to be the best unit again in the country this year. And then when you have two running backs named Blake Corman and Donovan Edwards, life's going to be pretty easy offensively you know McCarthy's a great quarterback he doesn't have to do that much Michigan's receivers you know they make some plays here and there now Michigan quietly has 
scored about 40 points a game in each of the last two seasons, which that doesn't get talked about enough that they're also scoring points. Now they're not just beating you, you know, 28 to 13 or something of that nature, but JJ McCarthy, I think he's the key that has to take that step forward in order for Michigan to then beat one of those top sec teams like a Georgia or an Alabama or an LSU in this year's case. Yeah. I mean, JJ is obviously five-star kid. Michigan's had five-star players before they've had ones that panned out guys that didn't pan out, but among all of them, JJ's shown flashes more than anybody else of being capable of doing the things that Michigan wants to do, which is get back to the national title game and win a national title. Um, the conference runs through them until, you know, something changes there where, whether it's, you know, an Ohio state or a Penn state, take the conference back from them, or maybe, you know, one of the teams from the West steals it, but until then it's Michigan's conference and, and uh, McCarthy is not going to be asked to do a ton. Cause when you have the O line and when you have the running backs that they have 90% of your schedule, you can just run rough shot over and not even really worry about it. And uh, it's really only going to be Penn state, Ohio state, the big 10 title game. And then beyond that, JJ is really going to get challenged. And uh, I think, you know, the valuable experience he had last year from playing in that Ohio state game, from playing in the TCU game, I think that's going to be a big step forward for him this year in terms of figuring out if he can be that caliber of quarterback. Yeah. And, and I thought you made really two good points there. And, and it was really in your first block. First of all, Michigan's recruiting class and how they have built it, like you said, to compete with Ohio state. Uh, they've taken a lot of those Ohio kids who have been, you know, neglected by the in-state school in the past couple of years, and we've seen it pay dividends for them. And it's kind of how Michigan built their teams in the late 90s when they were beating Ohio State consistently, right? They were taking a lot of those Ohio kids who didn't want to go to Ohio State for, for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, the Buckeyes going with a more national recruiting approach like they did under Jim Tressel and then once, excuse me, under John Cooper, and then again under Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day. And I th- I think Michigan has really capitalized on that and uh, really built their class with a bunch of kids who feel some disdain towards Ohio State. And similarly, I think with their offensive line, they are taking the right fit. They aren't going after, you know, maybe the best offensive tackle in the country unless it's a guy, you know, I know they went after a guy like Chris Hinton a couple years ago, Miles Hinton, his brother too, um, who very academically inclined kids. I know Miles ended up going to Stanford. Uh, but it seems like Michigan is looking for the right fit within their program. They found that with the Ohio guys. And the second point that I thought was a really good one that you made was that can Michigan get over the hump of beating the SEC score, winning that big playoff game against TCU? And again, you, you can kind of draw a parallel to Ohio State under Jim Tressel when you know the Buckeyes were running pretty good through the Big Ten there and, and beating Michigan seemingly every single year. But once they faced a Florida or an LSU, for example, they just got absolutely smoked and didn't even look like they belonged on the same field. So I think those were two really good points. And it'll be interesting this year with Jim Harbaugh probably having his best team like we've discussed. Will they be able to get a hub kind of like the Buckeyes were kind of stuck there in the mid to late 2000s? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, when you look at kind of what Michigan is dealing with, it's the expectations of being the top dog in the conference. Clemson's dealt with this. Um, Ohio State's had to deal with it before for a while. You know, Oregon and the Pac-12 had to deal with this. Um, being the top dog in your conference basically means you are that conference's representative on a national stage year after year. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that comes with that because everyone expected them to beat TCU and then they didn't. And, you know, you kind of see 
what could have happened in Ohio State and Michigan taking care of business last year could have been an all Big Ten national championship. But now nobody's going to talk about that. And instead, instead about what Ohio State and Michigan didn't do instead of what they almost did. Yeah, I think you're right. And you talking about expectation with Michigan, that was a point I wanted to touch on, too. So I'm glad you brought it up. This is really the year where we're going to see if Michigan can handle the expectation for real from coast to coast. Because if you look at last year heading into the season, yes, Michigan won the Big Ten in 2021. And on paper, they're, you know, maybe they're the favorite, but everyone was still picking Ohio State to win. They kind of thought that 2021 was a one off. The game was in Ann Arbor. It snowed. They just got the best of Ohio State that day. Well, then Michigan followed it up and did it again in 2022 using pretty much the same blueprint. I know it took a little bit longer in the game for that to manifest, but it was pretty much the same blueprint of how they beat Ohio State. Now, does Michigan and Jim Harbaugh handle the expectation coming into the season? They are the favorite. They're the team everyone's now chasing. And now they have to deal with, oh, can they beat Georgia? Well, they added a beat Georgia portion to their practice. Now, I know we saw that come on Twitter a lot. And then even another small wrinkle in this whole deal will be Jim Harbaugh's deal with the NCAA. Is he suspended? Is he not? I know as of right now, he's expected to now coach in every game this season. And that's now tabled until next year, which we all know what that means because how the NCAA handles things is the writing on the wall for him to leave after this year. He said a couple flips happen. There's a lot going on around Michigan. That's external. How are they going to handle the noise? Do you think this year? Well, I think the the biggest question that, that we have to answer about how to beat Michigan is the blueprint is kind of established um, and and it's not established via Michigan. It's established via a couple of Georgia teams and a couple of Alabama teams that used to just hammer people at the line of scrimmage and ask their quarterback to do little. Um, and, and it's also true of some of the JT Barrett, Ohio state teams that we watched. The, the goal is to stalemate the line of scrimmage because they've the last few years have had the best offensive line in the country and one of the better defensive lines in the country's you force them into must-pass situations and find out if the quarterback can handle the pressure that comes with knowing on third and eight that you're going to throw over and over and over again. And a lot of that with Ohio State side of things has to do with the defense. But from Michigan's angle, this is the year. Um, this is Harbaugh's best team. And I think they will rise to expectations. And you know, even if they do split the Ohio State-Penn State games, those are the two games on their schedule that are uh, potentially, you know, landmines for them there's really not another team on their schedule that's even going to challenge them so the biggest problem for Michigan is going to be the the problem that that Georgia actually has going into this year similar to their schedule and Alabama did it a few years ago you're instead of playing to your competition now you're playing to a standard which is we should beat all these teams by 30 can we go out there week after week after week and impose our will on people or will there be a couple games like Georgia had against Missouri last year or, you know, a couple games where Michigan maybe does have to go to the well and does have to have J.J. bail them out? I think if those things happen early in the year and we see that they can respond in the manner that they responded last year, specifically J.J., I think you're looking at a different ceiling for this year's Michigan team than last year's team had. Yeah, I think you hit that right on the head. And I kind of want to transition this into Ohio State now just to move teams. You mentioned like, at the line of scrimmage, that's where the game is won. That's the blueprint. Well, that's the blueprint in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. If you look historically, if you win the line of scrimmage, you win that rushing battle. That's who wins that game, and Ohio State has not done that in each of the last two years. Now, Ohio State has the running back room to do that. The offensive line will have to gel, and that will take time, so Michigan has a clear advantage there as we stand here in August. Now, that can change by the time we get to November, but for Ohio State this year, 
they're going to be in this similar situation to what Michigan's been in where they don't have the transcendent quarterback because I know Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, they're both good quarterbacks, but they're not going to be a CJ Stroud, a Dwayne Haskins, a Justin Fields, a Braxton Miller, or a JT Barrett right off the bat. It's going to take time, but they have the deepest weapons arsenal, I think, in the country with Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Igbuka, Trevion Henderson, Mayan Williams. You know, the list goes on. Cade Stover at tight end. I think Ohio State's recipe this year is going to have to look more like those traditional Ohio State-Michigan teams where, you know, you have a good quarterback, but you run the ball really well and you play excellent defense. I think that's what we're going to see a lot from Ohio State out of the gate is relying on a veteran defense for the first time since 2019, and then the offense will catch up because it has the weapons and it will regardless of who wins the quarterback battle. But I definitely think we're going to see defense first from Ohio State at least early on in the year. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, Ohio State is kind of in relatively uncharted waters under Ryan Day because they haven't not had a, you know, prototype first round quarterback waiting in the wings. And we'll, it's still to be written whether Kyle McCord, Devin Brown can do that. But they have the running back room and the receivers to rely on. And obviously Stover coming back is a huge deal. But I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough in terms of, you know, getting back to the Buckeye days of old is the defense used to be able to win games. And you saw that mm-hmm. last year against Penn State for the first time in a while that the defense actually bailed the offense out of a game. And so can Jim Knowles in year two bring that back because complimentary football wise? Yeah, Ryan Day's offense is going to hang 35 on basically anyone in America unless the defense is giving up 80 yard plays and they're going back out there immediately after, you know, a three and out. So in terms of playing that, that style of football, I think the most interesting matchup, you know, for Ohio state all year is going to be that defensive line for Ohio state going against Michigan's O line, as opposed to, as it's been made out Ohio state's offensive line versus Michigan's D line. I think, I think strength on strength is a little more interesting than, you know, relative question mark versus relative question mark there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you and I both kind of look at them at practice early on there in August on the third and the fourth. And what we were able to digest, you know, you get that feeling that this D-line is hungry, but they just have to show it on the field. You know, on paper, it's one of LJ's best that he's had here. You know, he doesn't have that big name like the Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, or Chase Young. I know JTT is a huge name, but he's not quite to that level. He can get there, but he has to show it on the field this year. And that really makes the quarterback battle that much more intriguing of who wins it because they're going to be able to rely on the defense. But then if you can get that quarterback play from either McCord or Brown up to the level of even Stroud from 2021, then this is a legitimate national championship contender. I mean, I don't know who's really going to stop them with the veteran presence on defense and all the weapons on offense. So, Anand, just talk to us a little bit about what you saw from the quarterback's at practice because when I was there I was team Kyle McCord that he's going to win the job because he's been in the system longer he has the chemistry with Marvin Harrison Jr. both coming from Philadelphia at St. Joe's Prep and then I watched Devin Brown throw the ball and I was like all right he's got some zip to it I'm a Devin Brown fan now that was the first time I really saw him in person so I think that this battle's more even heading into camp than we even initially thought what were your takeaways seeing those two yeah I mean it kind of reminds me of um uh, what we thought uh, CJ versus Kyle McCord l- would look like in 2021. And obviously CJ was just a little more polished than Kyle was at the time, despite, you know, we got lucky Kyle has started, you know, and in, in actual NCAA game before and in, in that game against Akron. Um, but 
one of the things that I and many Buckeye fans maligned for years was whether it was or Urban or whether it was Ryan, you know, get our backups in there earlier in these blowouts that, you know, you have a 49-10 game, put them in in the third quarter and at least give them live reps against defenders that actually care as opposed to, you know, practice reps and, you know, fourth quarter kneel downs. Um, but yeah, it was m- much the same. Uh, I thought Kyle would win the job outright. And I don't think that he's done that yet. I, I still think that he will be perfectly fine. I do expect him to be Ohio State's starting quarterback, but I was also impressed by Devin. And um, I think that Devin's going to have a little bit of the higher highs, but also a little bit of the lower lows between the two. And if you kind of read between the lines of, of what Ryan is asking of his quarterback, uh, I think the quote was, we need our quarterbacks to do routine things routinely. And that, you know, if you if you read between, read the tea leaves, so to speak, I think that says that Kyle will be your guy. But again, you know how this fan base is if he struggles in, you know, any of those first three games before Notre Dame and isn't quite C.J. Stroud-esque in those first three. They're going to be hollering, hooting and hollering for Devin Brown the, uh, the, the first time that that's available to do. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think McCord is probably the safer option right now. Um, certainly more experience within the room. Obviously, he's got that extra year over Devin Brown. But I kind of want to switch gears from the quarterbacks to the guys who will be protecting them, obviously, up front. A lot of new faces, two returning starters, and um, obviously some in-house candidates. You got Josh Fryer, Jacob James, Tegra Shibola, freshman Luke Montgomery, apparently making a really big impact there on the offensive line. And then you've got a couple of incoming transfers with Vic Cutler coming from Louisiana Lafayette and Jimmy Simmons coming over from San Diego State looks like he might be the front runner to start at left tackle. So want to get your thoughts on how you think the offensive line will shape up and year two under Justin Fry here. Yeah, I, th- I think I think Simmons is ultimately going to win that job. And I think as a, as Buckeye fans, we need him to win that job. Um, the last thing you want, I mean, it's fantastic that Luke Montgomery is fighting for snaps and uh, out there in practice, but, uh, yeah, the, the big 10 D lines they're going to go against, especially Penn state, Michigan. And then when you look at that Notre Dame game, you do not want to go into a night game at Notre Dame, having questions at offensive tackle by any means. Um, and so I think it will ultimately be Simmons that wins that left tackle job, which is obviously of paramount importance. And I think everybody else will kind of slot into place from there. Yeah, you kind of mentioned the night game against Notre Dame, but one of the games that, you know, certainly circle on every Buckeye fan's calendar will be that showdown, annual showdown against the Nittany Lions in Penn State. And for the first time in what feels like a decade, Penn State will have a new quarterback with Ohio boy Drew Allen under center. And they bring back their dynamic running back tandem and should be an interesting year for the Nittany Lions. James Franklin has kind of earned the moniker, the ironic moniker of big game James, because he can't win a big game. Uh, will this be the year that Penn State finally gets over the hump and wins a couple of those big ones, put themselves in real playoff contention for the first time since 2016? Yeah, I think Penn, I think this is the year that Penn State takes a leap, not just in terms of what their offense has been in terms of production, in terms of points per game with uh, with Katron Allen, Nick Singleton. But I think Drew Aller brings juice to quarterback that they just haven't had. And uh, when you have a kid that has the talent that he does, it's it, it can, if the team galvanizes, it can transform what your ceiling as a program looks like. And I think he, he is every bit capable of that. I expect them to really push both Ohio State and Michigan. Now, I know that, you know, 
it's easy to sit here and say, oh, you know, Penn State has two losses at the end of the year or Penn State lost at Ohio State or they lost to Michigan who, you know, went on and represented the conference. Penn State's probably one of the six best teams in America. They're just unfortunately burdened with the task of playing two of the top four teams in America in their own division, which, you know, is a big problem in and of itself. But I think this year Penn State finds a way to split those. Um, in what order? I'm not. I'm not. I haven't gone that far into it yet in terms of Ohio State and Michigan, but I do think that they will be right there in the thick of it at the end. And I think we're going to be talking about Drew Aller going into 2024 as one of those guys right at the top of that Heisman list, kind of like you know we've got Caleb Williams and Bo Nix right now. Yeah, and I think that's a great point with Drew Aller that his top end talent is going to be really, really good, and he's going to be able to ease into this season because of the benefit of having both of those two running backs that you mentioned, Singleton and Allen. And then he also has a really good defense. So he's not going to have to be this spectacular guy who's making all these, you know, sports center top 10 plays every week. He just has to go out there and manage because their schedule's not too bad until they have to play Ohio state. And then they get a couple weeks and then you play Michigan. Now they have to come to the horseshoe and they do struggle in the horseshoe, but they push Ohio state in the horseshoe, you know, and then they get Michigan at home. So, my inclination is that Penn State is built to beat Ohio State because of the styles that they play, but how the game's set up, I think they're more adept to beat Michigan this year because that 1-1-1 split, that's going to create the biggest headache I think the committee's ever had to deal with, having three potential five or six teams in one division, especially if they split. Like the tiebreaker, I think I listen to Joel Klatt say it, the top four tiebreakers aren't going to matter, and then that fifth tiebreaker looks at your West division opponents and their win percentage and how that works, which he said it's advantage Ohio state first, then Michigan, then Penn state. And if it comes down to that, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like it just shows yep. the imbalance between the East and the West there. But I, I think Ohio state will beat Penn state. And I think Penn state can beat Michigan at home. That game though is going to be at noon, which that's advantage Michigan at that point. So that triangle is going to be super interesting this year. It's going to be the definitely one of the top three storylines for the entire season. Yeah. And I think when you look at, you know, what Penn state can be Penn state's ceiling is beating both Ohio state and Michigan. They're fully capable of doing that. Now, do I think they will do that? Probably not. That's, that's just asking a lot, but going back to your schedule question, or, you know, talking about Klatt's one, 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 there's one thing on Ohio State's schedule that benefits them more than any of than Michigan and Penn State, and it's that night game at Wisconsin. Because if Wisconsin does win the Big Ten West, that is ultimately potentially going to be the tiebreaker if they do split the one-one-one, um, going amongst those three teams. So much more than you know, just the Big Ten title at stake, and much more than just a trip to Indianapolis at stake. Ohio State really does have four premier games in Notre Dame at Wisconsin. Penn State at home and then at Michigan. Um, three of those are probably going to be games of the week. Ohio State at Wisconsin could absolutely be the game of the week. Those are four really, really tough games for anybody to play. And I think it's one of the tougher Ohio State schedules we've seen in some time. Um, probably not ideal in terms of breaking in multiple tackles and breaking in a new quarterback, but the rest of the team should be good enough to get them through those early spots. And then, you know, once you get to Notre Dame, that's going to tell you a lot about your team. And then back-to-back, Penn State at home and then at Wisconsin is a really tough two-week stretch for any team, but especially a team that's that going to be that green at quarterback and tackle. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point there, and and especially Notre Dame and Wisconsin. We'll get to Wisconsin in a second, but Notre Dame, I think, will hold a lot of weight in the committee's eyes. I think that's a big game on both sides. Uh, year two under Marcus Freeman. A lot of people left him for dead last year after their slow start, ended up absolutely waxing Clemson and, and really finishing strong there, and big things could be coming. That one could play a huge role at the end of the season. Um you know, on multiple levels for the Fighting Irish and for the Buckeyes and for several other teams who might be in the hunt. Um, but switching gears now, you mentioned Wisconsin. I want to talk about the Big Ten West. Of course, we talked about the Titans there in the East, but the Big Ten West has a lot of storylines too. You get new coaches. You got Matt Rule at Nebraska, uh, Pat Fitzgerald now gone at Northwestern. Of course, you got Luke Fickle coming in at Wisconsin. And then, of course, you get the, the Brian Ferentz ultimatum at Iowa. He's got to score some points this year. So, a lot going on in the Big Ten West. You got uh, Ryan Walters going to Purdue as well, leaving Illinois. So multiple coaching changes, multiple new faces, and a lot going on in the Big Ten West. How do you see that one shaking out? I mean, I think the uh, the favorite is established. I think it's it's going to be Wisconsin, um, as it should be. If they throw the ball at any level, it's going to be significantly more than what they have been in the past. Um, obviously, you got a new quarterback in Tanner Mordecai transferring in. You've got a new coach in Luke Fickle and, and, you know, they're going to change a lot of what they do at this point. Um, but I think their identity is going to remain the same. They're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball. Well, they're going to play really solid defense. They're going to build their team in the trenches. Nobody's going to want to play that team late in the season as they kind of figure out their, their identity and what they want to be going forward. Um, but I think when you look at Wisconsin and, and the teams that they have to play in the big 10 West, Iowa is obviously that natural number one challenger because the defense is that good. Uh, Brian Ferentz has to score points. And I'm, I mean, bringing in McNamara uh, from Michigan, Cade McNamara and Eric all from Michigan is obviously going to be a big deal for them uh, just in terms of the quarterback play, because good Lord Spencer Petrus was God awful last year. And I mean, that defense was incredible to even win the games that they won. So if they get anything from the offense and that defense even stays remotely close to what they were last year. They're a legitimate threat, not just to, to Wisconsin, but to anybody on their schedule. And then I think that the other team that we're excited about, Nebraska is probably a year away with Matt rule, but you know, fun team. Um, and then there's, there's Illinois where Luke Altmeyer transfers from Ole Miss. We've seen him play in legitimate games for them. Um, obviously you get a Lane Kiffin quarterback. They're going to be, <laughs> you know, some stuff that he's already taught them, which is nice for them because they haven't really had that kind of uh a kind of player quarterback in a long time, maybe not even back to the juice Williams, Nathan Shieldhouse days. Um, but you know, they're a very experienced team um, up there in Champaign and a lot of junior and seniors on that roster on that, in that starting lineup. So they're not going to be as green at positions of need as other teams are. And I think that they're going to win some games just based on experience, not even necessarily based on roster construction. So those are the three teams I look at in the West as, you know, legitimate challengers for that Big Ten West title. And, you know, obviously I think that Wisconsin is probably most likely to win it. But uh, if I were Illinois won it, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, that was a really good breakdown there, Anand, because when I look at the Big Ten West, I share the same sentiments with you, especially with Wisconsin, you know, just infrastructure wise, coaching wise, I give that lean to Wisconsin. But I think with Iowa, we're going to find out if the offensive problems are because of the system or because of the players. And you are not going to be able to ignore it this year because you have the players to actually score at least the 25 points that they're looking at. Whether or not they make that religious and they hold to it, we'll see. 
But I think having McNamara back there at quarterback and then adding Eric all at tight end, you have guys now where you don't really have an excuse on offense to score 7, 10, 14, 17 points in a game against Purdue or against Minnesota or against, you know, Rutgers, against bottom end talent. But if when you look at those three teams, conference championship game projections, let's just roll right into that. I've got Wisconsin and Ohio State playing in the Big Ten championship. Give me your picks here. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think it will be Wisconsin, Ohio State. But I I think that much more than in years past, Penn State, Iowa, Michigan are all right there. I think that's kind of your your group of five teams. And obviously, if you want to throw three and three, then I would throw Illinois in there. I think those are your six teams that you look at as potential conference championship game projections. And one of the more interesting ones that I think could potentially happen are either – Wisconsin, Michigan, or Wisconsin, Iowa, or uh, sorry, Iowa, Michigan, just because of the style of football that Michigan is going to be able to play, given their talent advantage over both teams, if they're going to lean into kind of what got them there before, or if they try to get into some of the stuff that's gotten Ohio State in trouble, which is, hey, we need to try some of these passing concepts against teams with a pulse that we know we can beat and go back to the well if we have to, you know, ground and pound them to death. Um, We'll see if they fall into the trap if they do get there. But, I mean, Wisconsin and Iowa are not pushovers. I know it sounds like the Big Ten West is down year after year, and we joke about it all the time. But, I mean, those are two really legitimate teams, and especially defensively, man. Both are really good, and and especially Wisconsin can run the air out of the ball. Braylon Allen's a really special talent. Yeah, I'm going to kind of go against the grain a little bit. And I liked what you said about Michigan and Iowa. And I think that's the one I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Michigan and Iowa just to be a little different and edgy here, I guess. But I really do like what Iowa's done. And we've mentioned Cade McNamara and Eric Hall. But let's not forget on the outside, too, they added Ohio State transfer Caleb Brown out there to solidify their wide receiver core. Seems like he's making a good impression. They've got talented pieces on defense. Xavier Nwampa, of course, five-star safety. Several others down there in the pipeline. Uh, feeling pretty good about Iowa here. Kirk Ferentz, will he ever really be coaching for his job? I don't know. But this is certainly the most heat he's felt in a long time. Uh, Michigan, like you said earlier, they're they're the top dogs right now. And, and it's hard for me to bet against them until, you know, someone knocks them off the pedestal. So I'm uh, feeling pretty good about Michigan right now and, and I'll take Iowa over Wisconsin in a tight one and you know I think that'll lead them to the Big Ten West crowd but I could certainly see like you said any of Penn State Ohio State Wisconsin even maybe a team like Nebraska surprising us and finding a way into that Big Ten title game yeah David I think Iowa getting there is certainly plausible and then Michigan too it's been their conference the last two years Ohio State has to go to Ann Arbor and Michigan has to go to Penn State. That's how you want it if you're a Michigan fan or if you're in Ann Arbor. You want it that way where Ohio State's coming to you because that's the bigger game. But as we transition out of this, I know you've got some big recruiting news, so let's hit the recruiting uh, roundup real quick. Yeah, of course. I want to keep this big tech heavy, but a big commitment in the 2024 class, williams Nwari, heading to Missouri. Big win for the Tigers uh, plucking the number one overall player in the 2024 class. We'll see if that one sticks, uh, but a big win for them. The rest of the news really was was surrounding Michigan this week. Two negatives, well, really three negatives and a positive. Uh, Elias Rudolph flipping from Michigan to Miami, and then the more uh, the Smith twins, Jacob Smith and Gerard Smith, um, now projected to flip to Kentucky from Michigan. It kind of goes back to what we said earlier in the show 
um, how Jim Harbaugh with that looming suspension and the NCAA and all that kind of stuff. Could this be his last year in Ann Arbor? Has the recruiting class gotten wind of that? It's certainly weird to see three flips, all of them from the defensive line. Interestingly enough, I think that's more of a coincidence really, but uh, interesting nonetheless. And are they getting wind that Jim Harbaugh might be headed to the NFL once again after 2023? So uh, certainly interesting news there. And then, you know, just quickly to wrap it up, uh, 2025 four-star Ohio quarterback Ryan Montgomery, the brother of Luke Montgomery, who we talked about earlier on the show, offensive tackle for Ohio State, dropped his top five schools, which include Georgia, Florida, Michigan, South Carolina, and Penn State. Uh, of course, the Buckeyes already have a signal caller in 2025. Tavian St. Clair, also from the state of Ohio, took him pretty early over Montgomery. So looks like the Buckeyes will not land those two quarterbacks. I know a lot of people were speculating, will they try for both? Maybe they did, but it doesn't appear they'll get Ryan Montgomery. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up, whether it's in the SEC or still in the Big Ten East, similarly to Drew Aller, who ended up at Penn State. So Interesting recruiting news this week, and obviously we'll break it down every week here uh, throughout the season and getting closer to signing day. And obviously the early signing period starts in December, so spots are filling up. So we'll see how the rest of the campaign goes in regards to that. That's for sure. And your recruiting roundup is definitely one of our more informative segments on the podcast just because of how much information we give you in such a quick amount of time. But guys, as we wrap up the show today, on and tell the people, first of all, where they can find you on social media. That way they can check you out, check out your podcast and stay up to date with your coverage. And also we want to thank you for being on the show because you are a tremendous guest. It was a lot of fun talking Big Ten football with you. Thanks for having me, Blake and David. Um, yeah, as they said, I'm on uh, Nanduri NFL is on Twitter. Um, I host a show with Matt Kelly and uh, Roto Underworld player profiler. It's called The Decision Point where uh, we cover a lot more NFL stuff than we do college football stuff, but it does make its way in there from time to time. Obviously, diehard Buckeye fan, so you can find me, you know, freaking out like everybody else every Saturday on the timeline about, you know, a pass that sailed high or a crazy play made by a DV or even our freshman wide receivers being absolute freaks of nature as they always are. Um, but it was great chopping it up with you guys, man. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it was a great show. And, you know, we're inside of two weeks now until we get college football back. This is, you know, about 20 weeks of Christmas between now and all the ball games of the national championship. Those fall Saturdays are so precious. The landscape is changing. So this is really going to be a college football season to savor, especially in this traditional Big Ten. We're bringing some Pac-12 schools over. This looks like it's their final ride. We'll see what happens out West. There's a lot of different options that can still be out there. But a lot of fun covering Big Ten football. Guys, thank you for listening. Continue to stay tuned to our coverage throughout the entire season. Make sure you check out Anand and his show via his social media platforms. And thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast and follow our coverage by tuning into our website, tsilverbulletin.com and following us on social media at tsilverbulletin on Instagram and Twitter, as well as at Saturday Cadence on Twitter. If you follow those social outlets, you will stay up to date with the latest recruiting news the latest around college football and the latest just touch points where we can post clips from the show and you guys can continue to digest content in any way that we can get it to you. Also, if you would share the show, we would greatly appreciate that as we continue to grow our audience. Again, thank you guys for listening.